Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. I'm here today with Ross Tompkins. Ross is a investor, mentor, and is very passionate about men's health. Thank you for being on the show, Ross. I'm uh, looking forward to chatting with you today. You too, Ron. Can't wait. Cool. So I always like to start off with kind of I joke around all that. The same joke. All the listeners probably hear. You know, are sick of hearing it. The joke is, you you, you were born. Right now, now you're on a, a podcast show about mergers and acquisitions. Could you fill in the gap in between? So, kind of like, how did you get into business, and then how did you move from being in business into mergers and acquisitions? Great question. Yeah, so I was a, I call myself you know the typical accidental business owner because I was really passionate about sport and the human body when I was young. That led me to be a physiotherapist or a physical therapist as you guys over there probably call me. Mm -hmm. Uh, After a very short time working in the NHS here in the UK, I realized that that wasn't the right right area for me. Couldn't spend enough time with people, couldn't get that real quality care. So I set off into the private sector and I had this epiphany where I thought, if I can be the best physio in the world, I've had two epiphanies, and I'll, I'll tell you the other one in a moment, but the first one was, I was like, I can be the best physio um, in, in the world, and know everything about, you know, sporting injuries, but most of my patients only play sport for an hour a week, you know, and so what difference can I really make? But I'd had the realisation that most people in the world go to work, So if I became an expert in occupational health and ergonomics, I could help more people because we spend a third of our life at work. So that led me into the field of occupational health and ergonomics. We started uh, growing the business and it was growing um, slowly, like most businesses do. I had my second epiphany, which was um, I could be the best occupational health physiotherapist in the world, but if I didn't know about business, nobody was going to come and actually do the knock on the door, and we were, we were never going to grow. So that led me down the um, business development path, um, starting off in, in marketing. You know, how do we get people to knock on our door and become uh, become warm leads, and then become clients that never leave us? Now that helped us to grow. We grew that business up to. Uh, just shy of two million in revenues, and then our largest client decided that uh, we were, they were paying us too much money, so they would, did it in house, which is a good decision on their behalf, and we, you know we we wished them well. But that left me with a real b- a gap, really, and a desire for that never to happen again, and that's what opened the door on the world of mergers and acquisitions. And I remember sitting with our management team at the time and saying. 
We're going to diversify the portfolio. We're going to look at acquiring other businesses within the healthcare space, um, which means that we'll be able to cross-pollinate one another. You know, if something happens and we lose a client, it doesn't matter because we've got more resilience within the whole group. And they thought I was crazy. Fast forward kind of five years since that all happened, you know, we've acquired seven other businesses outright, 100% share sales. Uh, and we have small equity um, stakes in, an, in another couple as well. So we talked a little bit about before, about the, the, before the show about this, and that's that mindset and rapport. You believe that's really important. I agree. Let's talk a little bit about like what is the proper mindset to have uh, as a business owner, if you're thinking about buying or selling or as even for the acquisition entrepreneurs out there, what's the mindset to be in or how important does that play a role in, in everything? For me, it is you know, mindset and rapport are the two most important things in business and, and in M&A because no small business has ever been sold without rapport. Uh, and unless you have you unless you cultivate the right mindset, then it's very difficult to get a business deal, a joint venture, a merger over the line because bad things happen every day, you know, in in all works of walks of life. But it depends on how you deal with that, what you focus on. Are you going to focus on the fact something has happened, or are you going to focus on the solution and how to get past it? And um, what I always uh, teach and try and instill in our kids is, in any situation they come across in life to always ask themselves, what do I want to happen after this? And that will really, really is a useful question because it, it, it shapes your actions during that, that communication that you've got going on because you see people all the time, you know, they get angry, they get cross, they, they maybe shout or lose their temper, but that never results in what they want to happen. So really powerful question i say a teacher to my kids and it's something i hold in my head all the time as well you know what do i want to happen from this meeting or from this communication yeah i was listening to a book i'm trying to remember the guy's name now but uh it's the three steps is what it's i think it's what it's called and uh, he's talking about mindset and one of the things he did as a kid because he was bullied is this mindset of having kind of a glass bubble around you, right? Uh, like a protection zone. And he knew other, other people had done it. And I'm working, I have a 11 year old right now who's in that stage where he reacts to everything kind of smart mouths you, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or everything, everything you say is like, I know, or, you know, fine, yeah. you know, and that reaction doesn't serve him well. And I see it in business owners a lot of time, like they're reactionary and an understanding that that reaction has nothing to do with what you or very little to what you actually said and a lot more to what internal baggage they're carrying around and how they process things is critical not to cause a chain reaction in reaction, right? You say something, they respond in a way, and then you respond to that response in a way that doesn't, you know, build rapport or, you know, move the process forward. That's one of the strong points I think I have when I talk to these business owners and negotiate deals and stuff is I truly believe two different things. Your opinion of me is none of my damn business, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And just because you say or do something doesn't make that who you are, right? I'm a big believer. And I, I, get, I get onto friends and stuff all the time where they say, so-and-so is a jerk. And I was like, okay, how many times have you ever interacted with a guy? And you come down to really get down to the brass tacks of it. They've spent five minutes with some human being on this planet and the and develop their whole worldview of that individual based off that five minutes. And acquisition entrepreneurs do the same thing. You're on the call with some, somebody telling you that they might want to sell. And the first five minutes, you, if you're not careful, you've already got this preconceived notion of who this individual is. 
and you start closing your own doors as to anything else they could be. And following on from what you've said there, one of the most powerful pieces of advice I was ever given, and which has stayed with me over the years, is people aren't against you. They're just for themselves. And when you get your head around that, it completely changes the interactions you're having because what you previously saw as someone being, you know, malicious or nefarious or trying to subvert something in some way actually is them doing the best they can on that given day with the information they have at hand. Uh, and they weren't trying to, you know, do something you know, detrimental on purpose. They're just doing the best they can. Uh, and when you get your head around that, it's powerful. It's interesting. There's a lot of cultural things that come into play too, right? There are cultures out there um, where it's very common for business owners to be considered shrewd. And I've worked with a couple of different business owners where like, you know, cause I, like I'm, I'm, I'm on the phone constantly. I was on the phone yesterday with the guy from India, right? Selling a marketing company. So I'm on phone with people from all different world. And like, how does culture come into play? You start researching it a little bit and you'll find that in some cultures, if they get one over on you, it's on you, right? As a business owner, it's just part of their culture, right? There's, there's cultures mm-hmm. out there where, um, like we were looking many years ago, my wife and I were talking about moving before we had kids, moving down to a tropical area and actually starting a and b kind of re- like buying a resort and running it. The more I looked into it, the way that that business runs down there is you constantly have to give donations to the local sheriff, the local mayor, <laughs> right? Otherwise, you know, the tourists that come in on the one cruise ship port will never get directed your way, Right. I was like, do I want to spend the rest of my life blackmailing officials in my, you know, in U.S. terms, it's blackmailing in them. It's like, that's how report is built. You know, you give me yeah. gifts. So yeah. understanding exactly. the cultural side of it and understanding that it's not right or wrong. It, you know, in my culture, it can be considered wrong, right? But in, in the general consume of things, it's not right or wrong. It's just how they were taught to behave. And if you understand that, you can just absorb it and go, okay, that's, I, I need to look for these things. And it's a lot of, you know, a lot of the guys here I've talked to, like, well, I'm just not going to do business with anybody like that. And I was like, yeah, you're shutting down a big portion of the world, man. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, it is just, as you say, different. Right. And when you get your head around the fact that it's not good or bad, it just is, yeah. and then you can make a choice from there. Yeah. It's, uh, I used to negotiate real estate deals for my students when I was doing real estate. And often, like, we would be sitting across from somebody and you could pick up on the report just slipped out. And it's a lot of times it's visual cues. And it's a little bit different now that we're on Zoom all the time. We're not necessarily in person, uh, I think. And I, and I enjoy that. But some of the visual cues, the foot tapping, the, you know, the uh, crossed arm, like I could cross my arms right now. Once I'm out of camera, you can't see that I'm sitting here all crossed arm, right? Yeah. So, uh a lot of that stuff is, is missing. So it takes a little bit harder to tell. Do you do a lot of your negotiations over like Zoom calls and stuff? Or are you in person a lot? Um, initially, it will be on Zoom because, of course, it's made the world smaller. But I'm still mm-hmm. a really big fan, same as you, of getting in front of someone, shaking their hand, looking in their eyes and reading all of those additional cues that you just don't get uh, over Zoom. So definitely on the same page there. It's interesting as I built you know, a couple of businesses off of that, being in front of somebody and be able to read people and be able to flow with that conversation. I've saved, you know, big deals, like big in our world, right? You know, commercial office space and stuff, just because of the change of a single, like we were in the middle of negotiating an office center and 
the husband is a husband and wife we were buying it from the husband at one point starts glancing down at the numbers we had written on like a, a, a sheet of paper we gave him. He kept looking down on him and he kept looking at his wife and he wasn't part of the conversation. And at some point he crossed his arms, he leans back a little bit and he's shaking his head. And I stopped the entire conversation. I said, you know, I won't say his name. I won't call him out here. Let's just call him uh, John. Uh, he's an Asian dude. So it's definitely not John. So I know I'm not going to call out this guy. So this, this guy, you know, John, he's across the table from me. He's, he's now he's changed his posture. He's not talking anyway. But he's just shaking his head, and I know the deal's dead if I don't bring this out. So I was like, hey, John, clearly something's changed in the last four or five minutes. What's going through your mind? He goes, why don't you guys just rent the place and not buy it from us? I was like, okay, well, there's something bugging you. You're looking at the numbers. Something's bothering you. And uh, we were buying the place pretty much. They were kind of in trouble. They had bought the place to do one thing, and then the government made a change in policy and took their funding away. So basically they were... Uh, they bought the building. They were helping immigrants move in and get established, start businesses. There was government funding to help it. Current president or somebody vetoed that stuff off and got rid of it. So they built, they bought a building. They built a business around it. They got their first couple clients in, and all of a sudden there was no funding, and that's how they were getting paid. Right. So, but what he was looking at is he had put in twenty five thousand dollars down on the building, and we were just going to basically pay his mortgage payments for him and buy take over the payments of the building because he's slightly overpaid, and. Um, you know, at the time, but the business had raised in value. So, I mean, the building had. So once he identified, he's just like, no, I don't want to do that. If I do that, you know, I'll lose the $25,000 I put down on the building. And when my friends, he actually said, when my friends asked me, I have to tell them I did a losing deal. I said, yeah. give me two, you know, I'm really fast on a calculator, especially financial calculator. So the conversation then was, you know, I, I nudged my buddy, the, the guy that I'm negotiating for, Ted. I nudged Ted over, that's his real name, so he'll know if it's his him. I nudged him and like to kind of give him a hint to cut, keep the conversation. Then I'm on a financial calculator underneath the table. And I looked over at Ted and I showed him some numbers and I said, can you mind if I talk to you for a minute? So I pulled him aside and I said, look, we can still make this work. Not as sweet as a deal for you. But it still worked. And uh, what we did is just add the 25000 on the back end. So I figured out a way to where, you know, they owed, I think it was 15 years on the note. We made a 20-year note, so they get 15. And uh, then, then the, the conversation was, like, I'm 75. She's, you know, 76. We're not going to live for another 25 years, maybe. I was like, did you think you were going to live for the 15 you did the note? Like, like, <laughs> that doesn't change, right? You know, so I'll show you how to set up this. They had a son. And I said, I'll show you how to set up a trust. We'll pay the trust for this. And uh, long after you're gone, the trust will still get the payment. And whoever the beneficiary is, will get that. So if you're going to leave the money to your son or whatever, same thing would happen right now is nothing changes, right? It just, it protects it. So I told yeah. him, I told him how to set that up. But the, the, the thing was, is we were sitting in front of each other, right? Yeah. I could see those visual cues. And I'm having a little difficulty with that when we're doing this bobbling head you know, negotiations. Um, so I'm trying to learn to listen really clear to the speed of voice, the pitch, the tonality, the inflections, right? Because it comes through in that too. It's just, it's a more acute ear to, to hear. Are you in rapport? Are you in, you know, are you in the alignment with somebody when we're, when we're doing this, like, like here, what you and I are doing, right? Yeah. This is very similar to a Zoom call. So I was yeah. curious, uh, are there any tools or things that you use for that? Or is it just like, okay, we get through this call and we go shake this guy hand or. As you've just said there, you know, it, I think it comes down to, again, the quality of your communication, the quality of your questions mm. and to ask good questions, but also uh, a big part of it, which most people 
um, completely overlook is the quality of your listening. So you need active listening. You shouldn't just be waiting to ask your next question or waiting to butt in with what you want to say. You know, you want to actually be listening to what they're saying, processing that information and asking really good questions based on the information. Active listening. I would venture to say that most people, and I've been through training on this, so like I've done lots of training on on active listening, and because I'm not, I wasn't good at it. For as an ADD guy, I was bad. I would, you know, halfway through what you were saying, I'm formulating my answer. So now the method I use is every time somebody speaks, especially in the show, when you're speaking, I repeat everything you say in my own head. If I can, and I only do it now because I've I've trained myself to listen, but I only do it when I catch myself trying to answer your, like thinking what I'm going to say next. I start just repeating what you say and it shuts down that same part of the brain that needs to repeat you is the same part of that doesn't formulate what I'm going to say. And I focus a hundred percent on it, but what is active listening to you? Cause I don't think, I don't think most people really know how to do that. Definitely not. And again, as you, as you just said there, most people aren't really listening and following the conversation. They listen to a little snapshot, which formulates a question and then they're just waiting for a gap in the conversation that they can insert their question into. And everything else that was said has been missed. Whereas active listening is actually following through on the entire conversation, uh, processing it, and then asking a question about that that's more relevant. I catch myself doing the, uh, the, the, pre, the, uh, the first one there. Where you, if, you, if you catch yourself ready to answer the first question, you'll often miss the most important thing they were talking about when you go back and think about it, because most people have to warm up to what they're getting to. Like they need to explain it a little bit or build you. They got something they're really concerned about. They talk to you for two minutes about something else as they kind of get to that. Cause they're just, a lot of people are just nervous to tell you either bad news or, or a big concern without what I refer to as edifying, basically uh, without building a story around it. So you're ready to respond to the story and not the problem. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right, without a doubt. What other, uh, is there any other like tools or stuff you use inside of that? I like the, uh, so I, I don't use it because I figure it's malicious, but I'm actually NLP certified. So, but what I do still remember of the, of the NLP, the pacing, leading, matching, mirroring, and all that stuff, is the, I use the last three words a lot. And you'll catch me, I could probably have done it here on the show, where I'll just say like three words that you had said that, to elicit a deeper response do you have any tools or anything you use to keep the conversation going and dig deeper and build that rapport? Um, not really. Uh, a lot of this, um, well, let's say you can go on training and all sorts of NLP and things. I, I have found over the years, a lot of it I did naturally anyway. I mean, some people do, some people it, it doesn't come quite as naturally. But I find if you ask the right questions, listen to the answers, that's normally enough to you know, develop a really good relationship with somebody um, where that rapport then can can flow. And then after that, you, know, you can have the, the more difficult and challenging conversations, which we always have to do in, in life, whether it's you know an, an employee, a friend, a colleague, a family member, a, a target, if you're looking to acquire them. Sometimes you have to have tricky conversations and that's always easier when you've got trust and rapport there. Let's go back to the... Like that rapport requires a certain mindset, right? Um, in my mind, if I go into this, like I've, I've got, if I go into any type of what I call scarce, scarcity mindset, like I, this is one I've got to have, or even uh, a mindset to where 
like I'm in love with the business before I even get there because it's something that matches what I want. It really messes up that rapport conversation because you're giving up a big portion of that discovery, I guess is the word I'm looking for, really understanding what's there because you, you, you've got some preconceived notions because you already want it. How important is that mindset of just staying neutral and learning everything before you make a decision? One of the most important things, again, and I love this because it comes up a lot, especially if you're looking at a deal from a broker. Because the broker will always obviously want to be involved and you'll always get an email that says, can you send me your agenda for the first meeting? And I always go back and say, I haven't got an agenda. I have an intention to learn as much as possible about this deal, to find out whether we're compatible and see whether there is any way forward. Um, and that throws brokers pretty much every time. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you don't have an agenda? But, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So I have a thing with brokers. Uh, I partner with some, there are some really good ones out there, but again, there's like, I joke around, like there's more brokers than there are deals sometimes. Like there's just, it's, there's very low bar entry, you know, barrier to entry to becoming a business broker in yeah. most States here in the United States, majority of the States don't even require a license to do it. So you just got to, you know, change your hat from mine says flow right now. Cause uh, I'm a fan of Grant Cordone's flow stuff, but, um, that you know, you change your hat from something that says I'm paying attention to cash flow, right? To paying this, you know, to broker. Now, now you put a broker hat or get a broker's business card, and you're a broker. I've often had to like set shut down a whole call just because I'm asking questions and the broker's answering them, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm and the owner's on the call, and they don't understand that what I'm doing. Like I, I actually just I, I ended. Hey, something came up. I got a medical emergency. I got to go. Right. It was my, my, my daughter had fallen up her head and I need to take her to the doctor. I got a text. So after that, I pulled him aside. I called the broker himself. I said, look, if you ever do that to me again on a call, we're never having this call again. He says, well, I knew the answers and he's just not as poised to conversation to, to talk as I am. He's an old scruffy business guy, right? This guy, you know, machinist type of guy. And I said, I understand. But my whole point of asking those questions is to build rapport with him. Yeah. Right to understand what he wants, what he needs. Like, I know what he wants. Like, no, you, you know what he told you he wants, right? I need to build that rapport. And if you're not willing to let me do that, then we're done here. And uh, so you got, sometimes you just got to pull a broker aside and say, look, <laughs> there's a reason why I'm asking the owner particular questions that you might think are totally irrelevant is I'm trying to build a relationship with this owner so that he wants to work with me. Right. Exactly. Long after you're gone, I might need to call this guy and go, Hey, I messed this up. I need your help. I'll pay you consultant fee. Come help me. Right. You don't yeah. know. One of the things that really caught myself or caught my attention on a lot of your materials on your, I think it's on your uh, LinkedIn profile. And I've seen the quotes and some of the other stuff you have out there. You have a thing called the six key concepts to change the trajectory of your business and your life. What are those? So this is something that we try and embed into all the businesses that, that we have. So we call it the scale pyramid. Mm-hmm. So all businesses typically start out a certain way. And that's the base of the pyramid. So you've got uh, traditional marketing, then you've got cold outreach, and then you've got networking, sort of warm leads, if you like. And that's that's the pillar of, of most businesses. Then You can get great organic growth there. But if you move up, so that you've the bottom three, um, as you move up the pyramid, you've then got joint ventures and tender opportunities. And at the top of the pyramid, you've got mergers and acquisitions. And I think if you can have all six of those firing on all cylinders in a business, then you can really move the needle. But a lot of people get stuck at the bottom or they'll miss, they'll 
misuse one of them. And the most common one for that is joint ventures. And so many people get this wrong where, you know, they stay, if they think if they're selling you something, it's a joint venture. And that may well be mutually beneficial, but the thing that's often missing is it's not mutually profitable because uh, it's often a bigger headache to change suppliers to save, you know, a few cents. Um, but actually, if you can make it mutually profitable as well as mutually beneficial, then you've got a joint venture. And I think a lot of people do that wrong. So the six concepts is that scale pyramid where we look to build every single part of the pyramid into a business, uh, which means you get um, slow, steady, organic growth. But then you get these um, large injections where you have a, a deal, merge, a merger or an acquisition that's taken many months or even years to get over the line. Then you've got powerful joint ventures in there as well. And a lot of businesses will overlook uh, tender opportunities or what you, you might call uh, bids, uh, I think, in America. I'd say ten, tender. If you say tender here, it's a hookup website where you swipe over and, uh, you know, <laughs> so it's not a phrase we use. I was going to ask you, like, what is what is tender? So you're talking like bids, like uh, bid call. writing. OK, so we are bidding on business for somebody. OK, yeah, so. usually it's usually sort of government led. So, you know, then however many people will submit their bid and mm -hmm. uh, win it on the outside, win it on the other side of that, that can be really powerful. So um, two of our businesses in the past, we've we've used a lot of tender opportunities, bid writing yeah. uh, and joint ventures as well. OK, so uh, it's not we're not swiping right or left on whether or not we want the uh, the opportunity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that there's a, there's a whole new business there. Right? There you go. Yeah. I'll buy this one. Nope. Not that one. That's a, yeah. Um, I, I always I, I love the differences in terminology and stuff like a lot of the guys come on from the UK and from uh, Europe and stuff. And they refer to revenue as turnover. Well, here, yeah. that's that's when we say turnover here, it's your employees leaving. So uh, yeah. uh, uh, when, when you say a U.S. business says turnover, it's talking about we have a 10% turnover. It means every year t out of 100 employees, 10 of them leave, right? Yeah. To where, you know, if you said, you know, there wouldn't be a 10% turnover. But if you said we had a you know $100 million turnover, I'm like, you're losing $100 million worth of employees a year? Uh, it took yeah. me a little while to get used, used to the terminologies that don't line up. So uh, it's it's interesting. My uh, my kids watch a lot of uh, YouTube and TikTok, and a lot of it's from the states. So they'll they'll be like, "Hey, Dad, you know, should we use the elevator?" Um, I'm like, "You mean the lift?" <laughs> the lift, yeah. yeah. Right. I was in the military for a while, and uh, even here in the United States, different regions have different phrases, right? And uh, uh, we had a, a guy who's always like uh, the bubbler, right? The the water machine, like the water. Hey, I'm gonna go get a drink from the bubbler. I'm like, bubbler, what the hell are you talking about? Like, you know. Okay. And I look over and he's drinking out the water fountain, right? That, that's, uh, right. So, but Boston and certain areas, they have their own slangs, like, you know, slangs for certain things. So it's not just like different cultures. Like you go state to state here and they might have a different slang for something. So uh, like I dated a girl for a while, we drove past this water park and they had a huge water. She's like, look at the water slide. I was like, water slide, you get, spin you get splinters in your butt off the water slide, right? Because, you know, and it's not it's not water, it's water, but that's just <laughs> different areas call things different things. So it's a, I'm always intrigued by that. And it's kind of a learning experience. Like same way we were talking about earlier, cultural differences. So let's talk a little bit about that, right? You're you're in the UK now. Are you buying businesses only in the UK or are you international? Um, we have looked at a few over in the States. It's a mm -hmm. it's fascinating from a healthcare perspective, you know, quite different. A lot of it is, you know, insurance based, for instance. Uh, one of our businesses and my background sort of physio 
you've probably called DME, durable medical equipment. We don't have quite the same thing in the UK, but I mean, that's a, a huge opportunity over in the US. So we have looked at a few opportunities there. Uh, it's definitely something I want to explore. Um, last, we, we're, I've got a permanent residency over in uh, Mexico now, because um, I thought that was a nice sort of easy place for us to get to from the UK. It gives us very easy reach into the US, mm -hmm. um, but a lot easier to be there uh, as, a, as a UK citizen. Like medical supply here is a big, big business. Uh, I've looked at a couple. Unfortunately, the funny is I get referrals. I, I, the two I've looked at, three I've looked at, two of them were referrals from business networking things. I used to jump in and a lot of the business, like we have a, uh, an international company here called Business Networking International, but I was a member and I would jump on their big, you know, things. And I'm like, I buy, I'm looking for profitable businesses to buy. And the interesting thing was twice I got referred to medical supply companies, Great profit margins for, for somebody who's delivering what I call SO, uh, SIBs, stuff in a box. Uh, so any business where you have tr uh, logistics, I call them. I actually use the other S word, but I'll be nice here and say stuff in a box. So yeah. SIB, to me, an SIB business is I've got logistics. I have to store stuff, ship stuff, and you know, and get returns on stuff. So any type of business like that. So this was definitely kind of a, a, a an SIB type business, a, a stuff in boxes. Um, they were... Both of those, uh, one of them was a retired fire chief who actually, uh, you know, after he got on the call, he's like, I don't know what they tell you I would sell this. I might, you know, I might buy a business with you. I'll help you, you know, you help me buy something and buy something. But I mean, this is where most of my money comes from. I joke around all the time about wanting to retire and be done, you know, because there's a lot of work to it. But I, I would never sell. I mean, I'm not selling this anytime soon. So I still had the nice chat with him. And he, the numbers were good, um, so I'm I'm intrigued by that space. Uh, he special, and you can specialize. He specialized uh, because he's a fire rescue and was a fire chief for a while. He primarily carried stuff that would go on fire rescue trucks and ambulances, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, and he covered four, three or four states around him, and he just knew what what products work best in those because he's been around that space for twenty something years. He's retired out of that, right? So uh, he just carried stuff that you know. EMT drivers and fire rescue people love to have. It was compact, pack, packed right, easy to access, right? You can't, like, yeah. we were talking, I was like, what's the difference between gauze one and gauze two? He's like, you have to have scissors to open some of those packages. And if you're, if you're out, you know, on a, on a fire rescue and you're trying to get a, a wound covered, you don't want to be looking for scissors to cut something open. You just be able to rip it open and, and take, treat something. So he just really knew what worked well on the trucks. And uh, I think that there's a huge opportunity in that space here as far as medical supplies i even worked for a our rotary international club actually used to take donations from all the medical supply places and then we would send that stuff out all around the world so i spent hours and hours in a volunteer center sorting out random medical supplies that was donated you know things that we can't use here because they put an expiration date on a hypodermic which should never have one right yeah. <laughs> so it's expired so it's in a sealed you know, sterile environment but because somebody put an expiration on date on it they donated it off to us and then there's clinics all around the world that could use that and could care less that somebody in the u.s put a you know a, a time stamp so they can make more sales right the only reason you put a time stamp on something that's intangible or it's not you know that's that can't expire uh the only reason you do that is like to make another sale right so uh, but yeah well the, the thing the thing um you know, I love about healthcare is that it will always be required. You know, it, it doesn't go out of fashion or doesn't go in and out of fashion. 
Uh, and actually, although we are the most technologically advanced we've ever been on the planet, we are the unhealthiest we've ever been on the planet, you know, because we have access to so much convenience food and we're not doing as much exercise as we used to do. There's you know, so many reasons we could go on all day. But ultimately, that just means that healthcare is continuing to boom. Into that as well, you've got we're an aging population. So we're age, we're living longer and becoming unhealthier. There's, a, there's always going to be opportunity to help people um, in the healthcare space. It's interesting. There was, uh, I think it's Elon Musk or somebody was being interviewed and talking about the aging, the declining population of the world, that a lot of countries are having so few children right now that I think it's China or one of the other places, the population in the next 30 years will cut in half, right? Yeah. And they've built infrastructure and economies and stuff to support yeah. the number of people. So that's that's actually a really bad thing in his uh, scope of things, just because of the infrastructure, the way things are built and stuff, not having the people to occupy those spaces and do that stuff are going to be detrimental to the uh, the economy and everything. We The aging population, there's another thing aside right there. Like a lot of those guys are business owners, right? I think right now uh, there's to the tune of 51% of all businesses in the United States uh, are small to medium businesses owned by somebody over 55 to 60 years old. They're all going to retire out. And uh, you and I were talking about, you know, health ahead of time, men's health and stuff like that. Um, how often do you think that a business owner thinks he's stressed out, you know, time to sell and that stuff where there might be something else going on? Wow, well, there's like two or three things I'm dying to talk about for what you've just said there. So, yeah, really misunderstood. You know, people think that we have too many people on the planet and, you know, we're, we're in danger of, you know, falling off the edge into the off the cliffs and into the water when in actual fact that isn't the case. As you mentioned there from Elon Musk, the, the number of children that families are having is declining. Uh, over the last 60 years, men's uh, fertility has reduced by 50%. Their testosterone has reduced by 50%, um, which is a, a frightening fact. But that leads on to your second question there, which is hormone imbalances um, within the body, whether you're male or female, can cause cognitive problems. So brain fog, uh, difficulty making quick decisions. Uh, it will reduce your energy, increase your weight, give you problems sleeping so a lot of these um, gentlemen um, in their or, or ladies in their sort of 50s 60s who are finding it difficult every day going through the motions sitting on the edge of the bed in the morning thinking oh not another day at work maybe i'll sell it actually a lot of them may be experiencing a hormone imbalance which as you know but everyone else doesn't yet you know it's, it's one of my passions and one of our businesses is, is a men's health business where we're helping men through the male menopause well, all the andropods, as it's actually called. They're a fascinating subject. Love it. So andropods. You know, I didn't know anything about this until right before the show. I like, I like, to, I like to do a deep dive on people I'm going to have on the show. And I started just Googling your name, and I'd seen some articles where you were interviewed, and uh, you were talking about that. And it started clicking in my head that, you know, out of the probably – I'm just going to guess number here in New Public Math – 300-plus business owners I've talked to in the last three years, um, the majority of them were – 45, 50 plus in age. Uh, most of them, I would say 75% of them were male. And a lot of the times the conversation was that they've lost interest. They, you know, A lot of the, the reasons why they're selling was not just, hey, I'm ready to retire and physically retire out of this. It was, 
I'm just too tired. I can't do this on anymore. And a lot of the, the things you talked was funny when I read that article, like a lot of the things that people are telling me as to why they're selling and line up with symptoms to this male menopause. I forgot what you just said. It was called andropause or something. Andro- andropause. Yeah. Andropause. So the symptoms like brain fog, exhaustion, fatigue, like, you know, when you ask a business owner why you're selling, it's like, man, I'm just so tired. I wake up every morning. I just, I just, it's really hard for me to go do this every day anymore. And yeah. they're, there might very likely be something else there, right? There could be a hormone imbalance. So definitely could. I mean, we think at least 40% of men over the age of 45 are experiencing symptoms of the andropause, but 90% of them will never do anything because they don't know it's a thing, which is pretty frightening really. And actually it could be way more than 40% because the big issue we've got in men's health is that most of us guys don't open up very easily you know, this, our wives ask how we are, you know, the stock answer straight away is I'm fine. Um, rather than actually, do you know what? I feel a bit anxious or I'm not quite sure what's going on, but I'm, I'm tired. I, I want to go to sleep. I, I need an afternoon nap. And that's not like me. I wonder what's going on. It's a, a frightening number of people. You know, we think there's about at least two and a half million uh, men in the UK alone who aren't getting the help they need. And the main symptoms are, you know, low mood, low energy, low libido, erectile problems, brain fog, insomnia, um, weight gain, loss of muscle mass, aches and pains in the joints, slower recovery after the gym. Now, there are lots of reasons, of course, why you could all have those, but a lot of them could be um, hormone related. Perhaps guys are coming back from work thinking, I'm just stressed from work, you know, maybe I should move it on. I'm, I'm busy, so therefore I'm not exercising as much. That's why I'm putting weight on. So, they dismiss it out of hand and it's it's not made easier by the fact that it's a very little understood part of medicine. So if you go and see your local doctor, certainly in the UK, they'll often just say, oh, you're getting old, get on with it. <coughs> Whereas in the US, you've got things quite different over there. And actually the uh, hormone optimization space is huge in America. Whereas in the UK, there's very, very few people actually doing it. So it's an exciting space for us to be in, one from a business point of view, but too from a personal point of view because I went through these symptoms almost a decade ago you know thankfully came out the other side and now able to share my story and and help people. Now is it a simple blood test or like how does somebody figure out if they've got an imbalance? So the first thing is is symptom related so we say uh, unless you're having at least three of the symptoms don't waste your money on a blood test but if you're having at least three, and we then run bloods, our basic test, we look at 43 different biomarkers because you need balance. We don't just look at one. Um, <laughs> and then we can look at those biomarkers and decide whether on the balance of probability someone is likely to have a hormone imbalance, and then we can prescribe appropriate treatment. And within three to six weeks, most people are feeling an awful lot better. It's interesting as I was... Uh playing that game of biohacking and doing fasting and stuff and have my blood checked every once in a while, but I don't think they actually had them test my testosterone. I would have them check certain vitamin levels. Like I'm historically vitamin D deficient. If I don't take a supplement, it's just really low. A lot of people are. Um, and I, I, I say that and I don't think I've taken a vitamin D supplement in a month. I probably should get back on that. Right. But, um, uh, I it, I have both the VA. I could walk in, and they're vampires. I can walk in and tell the VA anything I wanted, and they love to take your blood. You could walk in there and blink your eye and say, "I'd like you know 
they're going to take your blood anyway. So you just tell the doctors, I'd like to have this test or to that. If there's a blood test for it, they'll, they'll pull it and do it for you. Uh, yeah. So any of my vet friends, out, military friends out there, you got, if you're using the VA, then that's one thing. But I've also got Kaiser. So there's almost no cost for me to do it. It's just a matter of scheduling that. So, but I, I'm intrigued by the, like this whole conversation around this intrigues me because a lot of the business owners I've talked to, they're selling, a lot of them are selling because of life issues, right? Divorces, moving, illnesses, that type of stuff. But on the other hand, for the guys who think they're burned out and they're just wanting to try something new, there might be something, especially the guys that are 45 plus, there's very likely something else there. And it's a simple blood test away to see, to rule it out, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it is transformational. Like we see guys all the time, you know, that turn their lives around with this. Um, it is important to say that it's not magic. Um, you know, you can't still um, sit on the sofa, drink 10 pints, uh, not do any exercise uh, and expect to look and feel great. You know, but if you eat right, sleep right, do the right exercises, you know, commit to some lifestyle changes and add in therapeutic doses of testosterone it can be completely transformational um, one really interesting thing nothing to do with buying businesses but just based on what you've just said there because you mentioned the va testosterone replacement therapy and ex-military personnel is a really interesting subject because what they found is um, soldiers with low levels of testosterone are more likely to get ptsd and veterans that have ptsd can be successfully treated with testosterone replacement therapy there's been some amazing studies um particularly the ones that had a traumatic brain injury as well so perhaps a, a, a bomb or something went off in a sensory device um they were concussed uh, ptsd afterwards well that is really really well treated with testosterone interesting i uh i was agnostic diagnosed with PTSD, but it was just, I did military imagery. Like I was a satellite imagery guy, top secret clearances and stuff. And, uh, seeing, seeing buildings blowing up a lot was dramatic. Right. And, uh, some of the training stuff they show you is, <laughs> is like, you know, there were civilians in this building and somebody made an error. Now the building's gone and the civilians are gone. So that, that was a little traumatic. You know, the, the other reason around mine is not once, but twice, um, people I knew closely killed themselves in the military. And uh, so that was a very common suicide was common there. So uh, not common, but more common than I've seen since I've been out. I was going to say, and more common in men, of course, you know, um, men and women both have depressive thoughts, but men are more mm -hmm. better at acting on it. And interestingly, there's a link to hormones again. So there are three times in our life when we're more likely to follow through on suicide, which is as our hormones peak um, in our sort of mid to late teens. Uh, there's then a, a big area around our sort of uh, early 40s. And again, things start to tail off. And then in our 60s, when our hormones almost completely stop. So you have these three areas in life where people are more susceptible. And there's a strong hormone um, Im imbalance in there. But uh, yeah, I think we've gone a little bit off topic. But <laughs> it's, an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting topic. Uh, we probably had a sweet side. Let's talk about the companies you've acquired. You're growing, you're growing a lot of businesses. Sounds like they're in the health and wellness space. Um, what are some of the acquisitions that you went through? It's, I guess this is the part of this, the, the podcast I like to refer to as story time. Um, what are some lessons learned from some of your, your acquisitions to, that you use to grow your business? 
So the, the first two acquisitions we did was, were small other physiotherapy clinics in the north of England. So it gave us um, you know, geographic benefits and they were good strategic acquisitions. But one of the key lessons I took away from there was that most small businesses, the business owner is working way more hours than one person. So we thought we were doing a really good deal, but actually when we figured out that person was doing you know, twice the hours anybody else, all of a sudden it wasn't quite as a good deal as we thought, um, which sounds like really common sense, but we totally missed that on our first deal. Uh, and it's something obviously we haven't done again. It's something we devise on when, we, when we're speaking to people. Um, but that was, that was a really important lesson. Uh, second lesson was to do with mindset again, because when we bought the, the um, medical supplies company, about three months after we bought it, there was a pandemic, uh, which I'm sure you still remember. Uh, and really, interestingly, the previous business owner, he stayed on and he, he did about 18 months with us. But when everything closed down in, in the March of 2020, he just said, wow, you know, almost like I'm so glad you bought this right now. I just closed the doors. It's a nightmare. We can't get in anything. It's a disaster. Just send everybody home. And I went, are you joking? This is the best opportunity we've ever had to help more people. Now, I don't accept that there isn't any medical supplies out there. So I jumped on a plane pretty much the next day, flew to India, set up a load of meetings pretty much on the phone, you know, and on, on email as I'm flying over uh, to meet up new suppliers, set up new connections and, and bring supplies into the UK. So Really interesting, you know, one thing happens and two very different um, attitudes and mindsets. It's that old fable, right, where the two salesmen were sent to a, a new co a country and the first and they get there and everybody's running around barefoot. And the first salesman calls and said, you're wasting my time sending me back. Nobody here wears shoes. And the next guy calls and says, oh, my God, biggest opportunity everybody you know, you know ever I've ever seen. Nobody here has shoes. Right. It's yeah. the different mindset. Right. That mindset of looking for opportunities as opposed to looking or reacting to what you see as a problem. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So they, they were two of the lessons sort of early on that, that stuck with us. And as we've talked about before, you know, big, big fan of mindset. So my favorite thing to do is I always ask the owner how many hours they put in. And then the other one I follow up is when we get to the point where I'm talking to the other executives, the other managers, I ask, how many hours do you put in? Then I say, well, how many hours is the owner here? Not telling him I already know the answer, but I almost always hear from one of the other executives that the owner puts in more hours than he admits because he doesn't realize it's not that he's doing anything wrong. Let's go back to that. People you know, are self-serving. He doesn't understand or realize that he is pulling 80 hour weeks, right? A lot of times these owners, they, they work all day. They go have dinner with the wife and they come back and work in the afternoon. And they're like, well, I went home at 5 p.m. It's like, yeah, but you came, you came back at seven and stayed until 11, right? Yeah. So they just don't, it doesn't register that the hours has just been their lifestyle for 20 something years. The second question I ask is, what does your wife do, right, as part of the business? Because what I find is a lot of these small business owners, the wife often is doing things for the business that's not on the books and a lot of times not even paid. But when we lose the business owner, he retires, we lose that that aspect too. So she might be just booking travel for him if there's some sales and travel. She mm -hmm. might be doing ordering office supplies and being kind of the office administrator. And a lot of times, stuff like, who's your CPA? Oh, my wife does our books, 
right? Yeah. If, if you, I look at the things like what are the key roles? I always ask who's doing the finances, like who's doing the books, who's who, who handles your legal aspects, who write in the contracts, who's overseeing them, like who's your attorney, right? Um, just because a lot of times, like my brother-in-law's the attorney, well, you're not going to probably use his brother-in-law, you know, at the same rate anyway. So, yeah. but understanding the questions of, if you know the model of a business and know how many, what roles it takes to run it, find out who's running those roles, right? Um, I was, I've had this conversation on the show before where we talked to a, a machinist, uh, a guy that owns a machine shop, and he was the lead sales guy, the CEO, and he happened to be the mechanic. He had a lot of his uh, machining equipment was fairly old, hard to find parts for, and he just had been doing this for 30 or 40 years, like quite a long time. And so if something broke, he went out there and took a look at it. And a lot of times he could get it up and running himself. When you when he leaves, you're not hiring a new general manager to run the show. Now yeah. you need a general manager, a lead sales guy, right? Somebody goes out there and closes deals for you. And you need a shop mechanic that understands that old equipment. So I get I get that, you know, they're wearing multiple hats. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a lot of the time you, you, the owner will say, oh, I don't sell anything. Um you know, so you've got then you've got to split out sales and and the manager, but because they do sell, but they don't do it in a in an overt way. They sell mm-hmm. because of passion, and people buy from them because of their enthusiasm, their their knowledge. Mm-hmm. They're not openly saying, you know, do you want ten widgets? You know, people just go, yeah, we want to buy from you because you really know your stuff, uh, and we trust you. You know, they ask. You know, that one of the questions you get to that one is, do you? Do you, are you participant in any of the industry uh, uh, groups and stuff? Like, are you going to the trade shows? Are you going, and you'll find out sometimes these owners are like, well, I don't do any sales. So I was like, okay, well, do you participate in the industry associations with your, with your industry? Yeah. Yeah. I speak at it every year. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Now you're a point of authority in the industry and people are, you're not doing any sales, but people are coming to you because you're an authority figure in the industry and I'm not wearing that hat when I get there. Right. So there's, there's some, um, like the mindset of discoveries where I, if we're talking back to mindset and rapport is discovering where do these sales come from? What are the roles that people wear? What, what hats are people wearing? And then what's missing, right? Uh, my favorite thing to ask after every meeting is what did we do well? What could we improve upon and what's missing? Same way with like the business. When we look at a business, what are they doing really well? What can they improve upon? And what are they missing? And, or what am I missing about them? Like what, like we've never talked about the CFO who's handling the finances, right? Who's doing the books here? Uh, probably ought to ask, right? Oh, that's my sister-in-law, right? You'll find out that, you know, a lot of times it's somebody, you know, else and uh, you probably need to know that stuff. Yeah, definitely. And then powerful questions there, really good questions to ask yourself and at the end of every meeting. Yeah. So we're getting close to the top of the hours. Make sure everybody knows how to get a hold of you. Let's talk a little bit about like, how do people reach out to you? What, what, what do you have out there? It's always okay. I didn't tell you, I usually, usually prep you before the show. It's always okay to hear, to have a, an ask, a pitch. So if you got a program, you got something out there, you want to help people. If you're looking to acquire a certain thing, it is absolutely okay on my show to make that call to action. So since I didn't prep you before, I'll prep you in front of everybody on the show. <laughs> so, what what is it that we can do to help you grow, man? Awesome. Thank you very much. So we are looking to continue growing in the healthcare space. So always keen to talk to anyone who has any leads um, in that area and anything from home care right the way through to medical devices and, and everything in between. So that's um, super exciting if anyone has any leads there. 
Um, we do also run um, a small uh, mentor program. So I think a lot of people go on training, M&A training or business growth training, and then they're left a little bit and don't really know where to go. So we run a 12-week program based on the scale pyramid where we, we help people's hand, help people uh, hold them to account, introduce them to our, you know, our attorneys or you know lawyers accountants and everyone they need to help grow their business so it's only over six people at a time really small really you know mm-hmm. hold people's hands and help them to grow um that's tdh capital where you can find all of those uh, details online and the best place to communicate with me is on linkedin i'm on there pretty much every day awesome so if somebody could remember three things from today's show what would you pick as the highlights you want people to remember So no deal is ever done without rapport. Most important thing. Um, That is often down to active listening, as we've said. Um, Mindset is super important in all areas of our life. You know, go in something with an intention rather than a specific agenda and always look for the opportunities um, that that are out there. You know, don't focus on the problem, focus on the solution. And, And finally, just from, yeah, from a, you know, shameless plug point of view is is if you're in the uk you're male over 35 years old then consider balancing your hormones can be a powerful powerful addition to business as well awesome well i want to thank you for being here we'll uh hang out for a few minutes after we stop the recording and we'll call that a show thank you Ron. really appreciate it Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace we have partnered with has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in napoleon hill's famous book think and grow rich with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T-I-E-P-M.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.